As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. back again y'all hey black jewels this is black masculinity part two we are honored i'm so excited about this series um before i even go into who we have today i want to just say um god bless dr nathan harper so if you have not listened to black masculinity part one please go listen to black masculinity part one Dr. Nathan Harper is still, his voice is going to be heard. His impact is still going to be felt. We're not changing it up. So I just want to make sure I lift his spirit high and lift his family high before we even get to this part two of black masculinity. So just like the first episode was pretty dope. I'm I'm just feeling like this one going to follow the same energy. Tiana said, keep that same energy. So here's the bio for this guest because we have Lorenzo Lewis on our uh, episode today. Turn your pain into purpose is a philosophy that speaker and social entrepreneur Lorenzo Lewis lives by. With a decade decade of professional experience in behavioral health and founder of the Confess Project, an initiative that confronts the stigma around mental health for men of color, Lorenzo helps you confess to your issues to begin to build a better process of living. Born in jail to an incarcerated mother, Lorenzo struggled with depression, anxiety, and anger throughout his youth. At 17, he almost re-entered the system of mass incarceration he had come from. It was then he snapped in and began his journey to wellness. It started with an education at Arkansas Baptist College and continued with him facing his own emotional challenges, eventually becoming a mental health advocate. Since then, Lorenzo has spoken at numerous venues across the country, from barbershops to universities, exploring themes such as toxic masculinity, therapy taboos, and more. In a high-energy participatory format, because you know we love call and response, Lorenzo shares his story of vulnerability and resiliency to model what's possible. There will be a reflection, there will be a laughter, maybe even some crying, and that's okay. Most importantly, you will walk away with the resources you need to get started on the path of transforming your life, whether at work or home. Dare yourself to move forward. Lorenzo will be there to guide you. 
you. He's a trained facilitator, speaker, and licensed suicide prevention trainer. He's available for speaking engagements at high schools, colleges, and universities, community spaces, and corporate workplaces, wherever you are. Wherever his message will resonate, he'll come to you. Most recently, Lorenzo trained employees on trauma-informed care at Snapchat headquarters and was tapped by Google to equip incoming college STEM students from marginalized communities with the mental health tools they need to thrive. Lorenzo is a 2020 Roddenberry Foundation Fellow and 2020 Echoing Green Fellowship finalist. Additionally, he is the recipient of the 2019 National Alliance of... uh, Excuse me, run that back. Additionally, he is the recipient of the 2019 National Alliance on Mental Illness, which is also known as NAMI, Multicultural Outreach Award, and Richard E. Tompkins Torch Award from the Central Arkansas African American Family Support Conference. Lorenzo has appeared in O Magazine as one of 11 2020 health heroes, been recognized on Jay-Z's Rock Nation during Black History Month, was inducted into the Power Players Club on Nick Cannon Mornings, Power 106 FM, and more. Currently, he is an adjunct professor at Arkansas Baptist College. Giving back to your alma mater, welcome to Black Jewel Podcast, Lorenzo Lewis. How you doing? <laughs> it is a pleasure. I tell you, every time I... I can hear all those things. I'm just in, in awe and really super thankful that it's on the backbone of what we know as our ancestors and what they have done prior to to us being here. It's really thankful that I can continue to live out the work and do the work first and foremost. So thank you again for allowing me to be here and then share with such a great audience and the folks that you are reaching daily. Thank you all for having me. Ashe, most welcome. Thank you. Um, and that's so true, right? Like, a lot of times we read off these bios and accomplishments and and really, because I could definitely feel you when people read my bio, the first thing, when people ask for a bio, the first thing I do is kind of cringe. And then when they read it, I'm kind of like shook. Like I'll sit back and be like, who they talking about? Like, golly, God, thank you. You know what I'm saying? Like, thank you, ancestors, thank you, God, universe. Like it, it really gets you to be in, in, a, in a state of gratitude. So I really appreciate you saying that because like it's not, I feel this way. It's not anything that I've done, but it's everything that God has done through me and my ancestors has guided me to doing. So I'm just, just super um, grateful to have you here. So let's just kick it to the people real quick, how we came into contact. Shout out Osiris Bali and the Folding Chair Podcast. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, so, you know, um, coming together here with you at Black Jewel was truthfully started in, um, you know, in a, a vibrational place of already preliminary getting to this moment. And I, again, shout out to the folding chair and the work that um, Osiris is doing on the ground, you know, activism work that he's truly doing for our people, liberating Black people to truly show up, be heard, and seen. And really to know we made it the epicenter of that, right? And to also see how now the work that you're doing is truly echoing and evolving in the know that we can share, again, a similar space to truly helping folks to break through, to be free, and to be heard as well. So, you know, when I met you there, I, I think at that time, wow, um, you know, so much has really changed since then. We have really identified ourselves not only as a frontline support for Black folks, but truly looking at really being bold and calling out white supremacy really calling out the different systematic issues, the uh, systemic issues, rather, 
that plague black folks when we talk about care and access um, and really looking at it more from a organizing a social justice lens of how we approach mental health and how we also really look at that and knowing that holistically we got to see that our folks can really thrive. So, you know, myself, someone with lived experiences, um, realizing that as a, as a black man growing up here in the South, rural South, Arkansas, that I have a lot of things to bring, you know, personally and also professionally what I've been able to do. And I'm just, just glad to know that it's a another, you know, a black psychologist here in, in the area in Arkansas, in the South. You know, I haven't bumped into uh, a, a bunch of folks who do what you do at your level. And I think it's just, it's impeccable to know that I can bump into folks that really um, understand it, not only from an academia framework, but also from people that are on the ground every day that also have a place and have a voice at the table too. So, um, yeah, I just think that was, you know, what I realized was really echoing when you reached back out. And I was like, yes, we're definitely in good time and we're in good spirits. And I'm glad to be here for sure. Yeah, most definitely. You so right, right? So much has changed because we was in person for that one. We got to be, you know, we got ugh, dual pandemics going yeah. on right now. Yeah, so. pre-COVID, right? Right. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, pre-COVID. And to think about what pre-COVID and we're uh, I wouldn't say post-COVID, but we are, you know, we're definitely not pre-COVID. We have seen um, the malicious um, issues that have come out of COVID, and now we're in this historic revolution, obviously, of uh, racial injustices, as we know, has truly always been in place. And now how at the center point, um, you know, um, a lot of how these micro-macro aggressional things have really truly have, are now very clear and loud and bold. Um, so now I think this shifts us to, when you talk about masculinity, you talk about uh, the awakening spirit of a black man and how he shows up in society. I think these very pivotal um, contexts around COVID and racial injustice really now really takes us to a much um, deeper level of, of, of first off understanding, but also really like, where the hell are we going after this? And real realizing that, you know, how are we really going to show up for our black men and boys, their families, and what does their future look like? You know, and how how do their masculinity, how does their masculinity really affect, or how does that affect them to from growing and showing up and, and, and being, you know, healthy in their community? So, um, yeah, I'm just really, you know, really excited to uh, to dive deeper with you around, you know, some some questions around that, and not, not even questioning to have some dialogue, right? Because I think that's another thing when we do these podcasts. Um, I've been on, you know, different media outlets. Um, you know, I'm to a point now where, you know, we have again started our film work more because, you know, we don't want a script. We want to do this from the from the top. We want to do this from the inside out because truly, that's what we show up from. When we're doing our really most real work is when we're being ourselves. Um, and I think that now that's tied into uh, the stereotype of masculinity as well and how we have to show up, you know, in white supremacy and act upon in these systems and in the media narrative. And I really appreciate you for hosting your platform in a way that can really be authentic and allow people to come and show up for who they really are. That's going to be on fire. All right. That was a perfect segue, Lorenzo, too, into the um, vision boards. So mm, I don't know. Yes. Do you have your vision board pulled up? 
I do not have it directly pulled up, but I can get it pulled up if necessary. But I, mean, I think if, if you could maybe elaborate, we definitely could. Yeah, yeah, we could talk. I, I, I remember I filled it out pretty good. I was really, I was really attached to it when I filled it out. I thought it, it really spoke to me. So I jumped on and I remember getting it back over to you. So no, I'm definitely ready to dive in for sure. Let's do it. Okay. So if you, uh, if you, while you're pulling it up, I can um, kind of just walk you through what you added on here. And then that way we make sure that you, uh, you know, but you, you added some, some money on here. Which yeah, I did. <laughs> I think that's a good conversation. I think that's the best thought place to stop the economy, black economy. And how that that ties into black masculinity? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, and I, and I think you know the, the biggest piece around that is really um, I think when we talk about masculinity from a from a macro perspective, we think about it in just context of aggression, loud, ignorant, um, and brash men and and brash behavioral ca- characteristics. Um, when truthfully it's not that it really shows up in the way we look at, you know, feminism, money, you know, our health, the way that we approach women, the way that we approach our kids, the way that we approach, you know, um, our jobs, the way that we look at our, you know, super, supervising our superiors at work and, 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 and even being liberated in entrepreneurship is all of that ties into the way that we um, have been in our masculinity and how, and how that ties into our foundation, because truthfully it comes from, you know, the way that we've been raised with our fathers and also, you know, generationally how our systems are designed, because our systems are by design, right? And they're by design to also see that black folks can't be liberated and be free. So, you know, masculinity is also tied into that as well. Definitely. Okay. Then you also had on here um, pictures of the individuals and our family members that have been murdered and slain by this system for lack of better words. Yes. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And I'm actually getting to it. I'm sorry. My computer is not at its best. For some reason, I'm unable to find the exact, um, the actual, Oh my God. I'm sorry about this. Uh -uh, Um, I'm sure you got the phone. Probably go back and edit. Um, where is it? Prison board. Um, okay, here you go. We may or may not, cause we just, you know, we put it all out there. We grows out loud. Yes, yes. Okay, <laughs> I'm, I'm here now. I'm, I'm here now. I am here now. So yes, um, you know, looking at the vision board, you know, I'm looking at, you know, at the top, you know, left corner. You're looking at, you know, your your Ben Franklin's, your money. You know, we're we're talking about it. Um. You know, um, you know, going over to to the center, you're looking at, you know, um, your, your Trayvon Martins, um, you know, now your George Floyd. Um, and I'm sure, I think, I don't remember when I filled this out, had that even happened at that point. Um, and I don't believe it had. You know, you know, my, um, you know um, Michael Brown, we're looking at, um, you know, the, the quote here, you know, when we pursue our highest vibration of love, we raise the vibration of all um, trust. Um, you know, COVID. In a nutshell, we're looking at, you know, I always say like the the quads of a man. We're, we're talking about his financials, you know, his health and well being, you know, his social relationships, the way that he his belief system, and also, you know, um, um, you know, it, it also just 
you know, in, in, the, in the way that he interacts with others. So, you know, think about money. I always say to men, we are, you know, we're raised, right? And we're, we're, we're brought upon to know that men got to lead. We got to bring in the bag in the house. We got to make sure that we're able to provide. And when we got to be the provider, the protector, and the priest, right? And then when we cannot reach those iconic um, uh, characteristics in our households or in our community, men can become dangerous as hell. They can not only lash inward with each, with each other, it, and they can not only lash inward and become detrimental to self, where, you know, you talk about um, becoming violent with self, becoming violent with others, suicidal ideation. You really got to also talk about the, the impact of men not having money has really, really is really rooted deeply into white supremacy as well, because we're taught to grind hard, work hard, no work, no sleep. And that is a very poor narrative that now are putting a lot of black men in the grave. Right. And we think about that, you know, also that's, that's like that in corporate America, corporate America is, you know, grind, go hard, you know, got to reach the quotas, your timelines, your milestones. Nobody is able to rest and love themselves and know themselves. And that takes me over to the, to the far right of this, visible we're talking about when we pursue our highest vibrational love we we raise the vibration of all and that really knowing yourself first while you're getting a bag while you're getting money while you're hustling to take care of your family is really a part of liberation of also in freeing yourself right from what the world say you should be able to live up to and to be expected by um so a lot of it is just the way that our society has obviously constructed by design you know, the ways of these um, iconic pieces of our society and why we have to show up and be that way. Um, and like I talked about, you know, the middle picture here, we're looking at, you know, um, you know, your Breonna Hare, you know, Breonna Taylor, all these folks that have been murdered, black folks that are continuing to get murdered, um, you know, um, the lack of respect for who are, who we are, our skin, um, the, the lack of respect for um, for black folks and, and, and just the racism, right? And, and, and it's, and its most nastiest point has it's also a part of our masculinity, right? We have to. I can tell you for myself personally, you know, I first got a, got a gun put on me by police. I was eight years, eight nine years old. You know, I was in my grandmother's house, and it was me and my cousin who was out walking. Somebody's house that got broken into, two or three houses down. Five or six police pulled over in a suburban, jumped out, hand, you know, guns get on the ground. Our first encounter with the police, you know, guns to our head, you know you know, black boots turned on the back of our head and we're eight, nine years old. And it's just based on the fact that we're black. You know, it's five or six black boys walking in the country and he was Arkansas and somebody house up the street that got broken into. We have no idea. We're walking around with freeze cups and chips and everything is, you know, police get out and all of that stuff is ruined and obviously we're thrown to the ground. At that moment, that truly shattered, you know, the way that I would ever respond you know, we was, we was I was talking about the 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 quads of money and violence and how that really ties into you know our belief system, but how our belief system is also tied into our masculinity and the way that we view things from a societal perspective and how society and white supremacy and how our systems are set up from design and why black men really feel the way that they feel about themselves, community, women, and their children. Um, and I believe all of that ties into the trust factor. You know, now we talk about, you know, your COVID is here. Don't touch your face. You know, the public the public health of black men and also the lack of distrust 
with our medical professionals, with our medical community, our therapy taboos that are tied up to why we won't get care is also a big piece of why, you know, how we've been raised as young people and young men because of the generational trauma that have taken place with black folks when you talk about the Tuskegee experiment, the civil rights era, you talk about the way that black folks have been mistreated and underinvested and how that truly ties into the way that um, black masculinity shows up every day in our life, whether that's in a very toxic way um, or even also, you know, it's, it's a part of, you know, our masculinity that could, that is positive, right? And, and how we can be vulnerable and authentic and, and, and be loving and be empathetic. Um, so it's also two sides of it. And I don't want to be, I want to be very clear because I think sometimes we talk about, you know, the masculinity, we think about the negative part of it, right? The negative stereotype of that, that we really got to look at both sides of it because that's, that's very um, valuable right now. Right. It, that, oh my goodness. That's, you know what? That's what I'm saying. That's how I know. Like you said, synchronicities, right? Because this book that I'm reading and, um, for the Black Jewels who are listening, a little pub pub, if you want to add this to your library, or if you've already read it, drop a comment. So the book title is The Will to Change, Men, Masculinity, and Love, and it's by Bell Hooks. And so um, I'm not sure if you've been following this season. In the first episode, I kind of I said something and it jarred me and I've just been, I, I'm like, okay. Um, and I talk about this a little later, check out black sexuality, the eighth episode. Um, I, I go a little bit in detail further, so I'm not going to do talk a little too much about it, but I am going to just hit on it. So in this book, um, bell hook says no man who does not actively choose to work to change and challenge patriarchy escapes its impact. The most passive, kind, quiet man can come to violence if the seeds of patriarchal thinking have been embedded in his psyche. Much of the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde behavior women describe in men who will alternatively caring than abusive has its roots in this fundamental allegiance to patriarchal thinking. And so when you were talking about systemic, like, um, foundations to our beliefs i think that we can't have this conversation without thinking about the adopted patriarchal thinking the internalized patriarchal thinking right because that doesn't just happen to men it's not just like you say you're a provider you're this you're that but nobody thinks about um what is the emotions that black men really need and what are they truly going through right and so i even had to check myself when i said like oh i'm i'm, I'm scared of black men okay so why where did that come from because i love black people and I love and I'm starting to look around you know my friend group and the people who I support and there's a lot of black men in my friend groups and my support system so I had to really start delving into that and um I just attended this lecture as a part of this program I'm doing and the speaker just was you know she referred me to this book and she talked about her journey and her process through kind of uh I'm making this up as I go deep uh <laughs> patriarchy so decolonizing depatriarchizing I just made that word up um her mind right and so that's that kind of led me on this journey to do the same which then gets into my vision board um 
that I completed for this episode. Cause I was like, you know what? Um, I really enjoyed the conversation that we were, we engaged in on the folding chair. And I was like, I really felt comfortable enough to be vulnerable. And that that's important, right? That we're, we're able to be vulnerable because that's how we can really heal. So on my vision board, there is, um, a cut rope and on one side, there's a butterfly on the rope and the other is just like a rope. Right. And so, um, for me, this represented that I am cutting the cords of belief systems that no longer serve me well, and I'm going to travel the rest of my journey as light as a butterfly. Um, this, this second, because, you know, because I just, I really feel like that's something that we have to do. And we're at a point where it's it's not... It's no longer okay to hold on to things that don't serve you well. It will kill you. It will literally kill you. And I'm like, I'm like you were saying, leading to suicidal ideations, all of those things, you know? And so I'm learning at this journey in my life that it's time to just cut the cords and to, to identify things for what they are. I have been operating in a patriarchal world and where I've adopted some patriarchal beliefs and I have to let those things go in order for me to truly and authentically love the people who I'm here to love and heal. Um, so, you know, that's the work that I'm doing. And again, Black Jewel, I just like to be as loud as possible with my healing because I think a lot of times also what people can do is box together like the people who are advocating for mental health or the people who work mental health professionals as perfect. And I just want to uh, shed light on the fact that that is a misconception. Um, we are not perfect. We have our processes that we go through and that really helps us become better healers and better, um, advocate advocates for mental health. So the second picture is of a woman that she's like crouched in a corner and she's looking at her shadow, which is superwoman. Like she's literally like up straight, back straight with a cape on. And so I feel like, you know, with me cutting these cords and becoming light as a butterfly, I'm also like in this very incubative phase where I am shedding skin as if, I'm, you know, the snake sheds their skin to become who they truly are. So I feel like that is the process that I'm going going through um right now in the midst of everything that's going on and then I also have that when we pursue our highest vibration of love we raise the vibration of awe and so when I said that it it really hit my spirit like I can't describe the type of feeling um have you ever said something and it jolts you awake like you knew you said it but then it's kind of like oh I said that what does that really mean type of thought and so I started going down that that uh that journey of what does it really mean me saying I'm scared of black men? Like where did that come from? And I know the experiences that I'll talk about later um in black sexuality, but I know like the personal experiences, right? Um but this quote for me really hit on what I was told, you know, just hmm, when you pursue your highest vibration of love because that first thing is saying like going within like what exactly what you said right a inward to outward type of process so when you pursue what is your highest vibration what what within me um brought me here to this this space and place of earth right what what is my purpose why am i why am i saying i'm scared of black men what is that calling me to do it's calling me to not be scared of black men but to promote that i am growing in love with black men right so i'm right like by me pursuing my highest vibration of love and figuring out figuring that out 
Now I can raise the vibration of all by saying it out loud, right? But that took me really investigating why am I having this thought? Why am I having this feeling? And, you know, I have had isolated experiences with black men that have become a global belief system for me. And that's just inaccurate. So I had to like really address that and cut those cords. And so the next picture I'm gonna go down um, is a picture of a beautiful, beautiful ladies. Ladies and some men, you know, ladies and gentlemen, there is a beautiful, scrumptious, scrumptiliumptious uh, black man. I think all black men are beautiful. And this black man just stood out to me because in this book, it talks about the warrior mindset, right? And how we promote black men to be warriors, but we don't talk about black men as emotional water bearers. We don't talk about black men as emotional healers. We don't really talk about black men uh, in terms of the James Baldwin of this era and what would that look like in terms of a Langston Hughes in this era and what would that look like? You see what I'm saying? So I feel like, yes, it is beautiful to be a warrior and it's also definitely okay to be in tune with your emotions and to be a warrior of emotionality and a warrior of water bearing. You know, I think it's important that, um, we work on what is the persona of black men. And then also, you know, I was doing a little manifest in here too. Um, so I was just, <laughs> I was just putting that on there, you know, for, for, for my husband to come on in the room when we're both prepared to, to, to enter and introduce ourselves to each other in that uh, realm of relationship. Um, and then I had to start thinking, like I said, going back to that quote, when we pursue our highest vibration of love, we raise the vibration of all, right? I had to start thinking, when did this this awareness first come into my body because our body deserves to be heard. Like that's one of the, uh, one of my motivational updates I got, um, from one of my apps is your body deserves to be heard. And oftentimes what we tend to fail to realize is that our bodies often catalog the traumas that our mind won't allow us to process. Let me do an infinite waters. Run that back. Our body <laughs> typically catalogs the trauma that our mind is not able to process, right? So I had to go back and think, okay, when was the first time my mind and body processed this thought and this belief? And for me, it was when I watched that Nikki Giovanni and James Baldwin interview about a year or two ago for the very first time. And Nikki Giovanni just said out loud to James Baldwin, who's a black man that I admire, like love. I'm scared of black men and I really don't too much like white people. And I was just like, Woo. again, you know, when you hear something or you say something, your spirit be like that part. Like that was that experience for me. And I feel like that's when my spirit was jolted. Like, okay, Alexis, it's time to start doing the work to grow in love with black men. And so then the next picture is of a I just really love this picture. It's it's almost like um the stairway to heaven pictures, but it's a black man on his back is a black woman and wrapped <laughs> wrapped on her back is their baby. And and I think like you know for for me this kind of we have we have allowed and we have been forced to internalize a system and a way of operating that is not innate for us that is not natural for us it has become normal for us but there's a difference between natural and normal 
<laughs> normal is a societal belief. Natural is what you are biologically, spiritually, physically, mentally here to do. Okay. So this is what I feel like we're here to do is to um, rebuild the black family. And that first starts with the black man understanding you have space to be whoever you want to be. <laughs> you don't have to adopt these other viewpoints of what a black man looks like. And I think Dr. Harper did so good in this first episode, like kicking us off with this series when he had Andre 3000 and Langston Hughes and James Baldwin and Pimp C all in one damn uh vision board. I think that showcases like embrace your differences because that what that's what really makes black masculinity, right? Um and then like what stood out to me in this picture was the black man's face is like really dark and it's not dark like a uh, skin tone, but it's almost dark as if like a shadow is over him, but then the woman's face is like a little bit lighter and then the child's face is super light, right? And so for me that was a um a, a message. I took it as a message from the ancestors in terms of vision, right? And so the black man like we said he's been He's been described, and I'd love to hear your commentary because this is a viewpoint from a woman. So, you know, this is what this is here for, this conversation. So um, he's been described as the provider, like you said, the provider, the go-getter, the one who's supposed to take the, 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 the. But if I, when I'm looking at this picture, I see he's carrying the family, but I also see the woman caressing him. And I see her looking further and the child looking to the side. So I see that it's a dual protection thing going on. It's a dual provider thing going on. It's not something that's just ascribed to one person, right? And I think that goes back to the whole internalized uh, patriarchal views because when you look at patriarchy, that's that gender roles of the man is the breadwinner, the breadwinner, the woman is at home pregnant, barefoot, and the child is just, you know, coddled all the time. And so, but from an African perspective and from the perspective of our ancestors, ancestors everybody's involved and engaged in making the family work I say you know what I'm saying so I think that for for me that's what stood out there but then I had to be honest with myself do I trust myself enough to release myself to trust a black man See what I'm saying? We got to be honest about this. So I had to put a, a chain link that said trust because I have to relink my trust. And that starts with me first, right? Like I have to work on trusting myself so that I can trust others outside of me. Like everything, I am so grateful you started the conversation off by saying that everything starts from an internal perspective and then it's made external. Um, and so then the last picture is this picture of me by the river and I just I love this because the 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 ripples and the waves looks like they're it looks like it's coming towards me and going away at the same time and so for me um I had said something to one of my line sisters shout out to Iyama um I was like I just want to be light as a feather floating along the stream and this picture captures that for me like it's it shows like me and my most serene just happy just like not necessarily um over analyzing things because I think sometimes um as a black woman I won't speak for black women but as a black woman who has experienced black uh who's experienced trauma at the hands of black men I have gotten into this um 
this frame of thinking where it's always like super analytical and it's, I've learned to utilize it and I'm learning to utilize it to serve me well, but that also comes in with me having to recognize and acknowledge how it has not served me well. You know what I'm saying? So that's my vision board. What's your thoughts on that? And then, uh, then, then our shadow intern, Mr. Cody Jackson got some questions that we're going to add to this narrative as well. Shout out to Mr. Absolutely. This is a very, very, um, godly. I love the way that you, that you broke it down. It was, you very, you really ministered to me. And I would just, and I, and my hope is that black men will listen to this episode, um, that is played and echoed across many, many layers because truthfully it's a lot of black men that do not understand even at the, at the most linear level of what you are saying, they don't get that that even exists in how we put ourselves in our culture and how it is, they have been raised, right, in some of these different um, um, nuances and understandings. So it's my hope is that the way that you've broken it down, I just put my childhood, my my younger self in so many different scenarios because I can remember when, you know, at the, um, you know, how I treated black women at one point because of the way that, you know, I saw other men treat women and, um, and, and the way that I even sexualized, you know, and, and, and promiscuity, promiscuity around black women because of, you know, the way that it's shown in, in, in rap culture and, and, and hip hop culture and the way that we, um, you know, the way that we view those different things and how that is now a part of the spirit in the context of how black men show up every day. Um, I think that's a disconnect in folks not really understanding how detrimental that is to our psyche. Like, that's a big deal. Um, and then I'm really more concerned on when, when, if we will ever get it. <laughs> so I think that's when it's really having to come down to work that we do to continue to have these conversations so people are, are aware. Because right now, I think we're at the most, we're at the awareness stage of all of this. And I got to be honest, because it's a lot of black men that right now, this will take them out of here. Just by knowing that, because it's just a, it's, it's, a, it's all of who we are, and it's the fact that we have to unpack and, like you said, really de, decentralize and decompose of some of these negative ways of how this has attached to who we are in our psyche. So everything that you're saying, and it's just even that trust piece, right, is I think about, you know, a lot of young men that are having kids back to back to back, looking for love, searching for belief within self, taking away that you know, they've lost grandmothers and family members and making children because they want to reimagine that again and really not even understanding that a lot of this stuff is at the cusp of their own trauma and also at the cusp of who they are and also even tying into that young woman's trauma, right? So it's a disconnect and we're not being able to continue that. And it's like, oh, they're just, you know, young and they were just stupid. It's like, no, that was a part of their trauma. And there was a lot of that was tied into their belief and their trust factor within each other because a lot of them was making decisions because we realized that, and you know this from even from a clinical level, that um, when we are depressed or we go through our different cycles, uh, we are very less likely to make very good decisions, right? And we know that depression is a root of anger and, you know, and withdrawn. And it's also, it plays a part in the way of our stability, emotional stability. Emotional capacity is, is very, you know, it's tapered when we, we have so it's it's so much to this, and it's like we have to really unpack this. I, I feel like your vision board really helps to it starts really breaking it down. I love the warrior 
concept. Um, I just think about how many black men are really not viewed as, you know, Renaissance, cool, and very, you know, um, layered black men that doesn't have to come with a different ego and a toxic um, nature. Um, and, and so it, it's, it's so many different, you know, different layers to that. I, I think the way that I, we're brought up is to be tough, um, to, to over-sexualize women with our eyes, with our, with our hands and our, you know, and the way that we treat them, um, the way that we deal with ourselves, the way that we, you know, put other young brothers and, and brothers that we're coming up around to, to continue to engage into the white supremacy of, of, of how we got to show up within our systems and our community and how that's really not who we are at our core, right? It's just more of a learned behavior that now has really rippled and has now become a very permanent <laughs> thing within who we are and the way that we're raising our kids and our young boys. And it's, 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 it's something that it inspires me, Alexis, more than anything, because the work I do with barbers, this is right now we're doing a 12 month curriculum. We're doing a chapter based barber ambassador initiative where our barbers is about to now become state chapters. And it's now making me say, you know, we got to really dive deep into some of these when they're doing their activities monthly and they're meeting amongst more men and black men. We got to have these conversations about, you know, what you're just saying here in this vision board around the concept and the perception of who we are as black men at our core. Um, because all this other stuff around wealth and the way that we want to, you know, fix our mental health and we want to do this. And we still got to understand that at our most, at our micro level of who we are um, as, as black men and, and how we show up. So um, thank you for sharing that. No problem. I, oof. Man. So it's another, it's another, when you was talking, I was like, okay, this is another good quote. From this book again now please utilize the resources that are provided in these episodes so it says patriarchy is a political social system that insists that males are inherently dominating superior to everything and everyone deemed weak especially females and endowed with the right to dominate and rule over the weak and to maintain that dominance through various forms of psychological terrorism and violence. And then bell hooks goes on to talk about when her brother, <clears throat> she says, when my brother, when my older brother and I were born with a year separating us in age, patriarchy determined how we would each be regarded by our parents. Both our parents believed in patriarchy. They had been taught patriarchal thinking through religion. Okay. And so I just want to, like, I, I thought that was a great point. One, to not only, because I think when we say patriarchy, we think like, oh, that just applies to men, like that just, or, and, and it, not necessarily in the sense that it does apply, right? Because if you, if, like, I listen to some of the narratives that black women that we have of black men and, and, and talking with my friends and everything. And I find that we're starting to check ourselves a little bit more about our expectations of black men and like, where are these expectations truly rooted in? Because really, is that even, is that really even our culture? Is that even our history? Is that even how we've regarded? You see what I'm saying? Like, just makes me ask those questions. And so I'm so glad that you brought up the Barber Coalition because I think what you're doing is super dope to um, help reshape and redefine the narrative of what black masculinity is. And so Mr. Jackson came up with... Um, 
a great question that I like to insert here. As you've been doing this work, the Barber Coalition, the Confess Project as, as an entire movement um, and working on all the things that you're about to launch next month. And, you know, how has the journey of working on all of that shaped your life from the time you started up until this point? Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I wow. know. I said Mr. Jackson didn't come to play. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's a good one. I tell you, um, from the time I started to now, God, from the time I started, I knew nothing really about social justice. I knew nothing about, first, I'm going to tell you, I didn't know enough about our African culture and our African history, first and foremost. I didn't know enough about self and truly didn't know enough about who our ancestors were and what they really did to really get us here. Uh, I had no idea. I just, you know, I'm going to be honest, I was just a lost cat that knew enough to get by, but I didn't know enough. And when I got out here and really started doing the work, you know, and I, you know, I met cats from the Islam culture, cats from, there was Buddhists, there were Baptists. I've been all over the country. I met folks, you know, globally, you know, nationally from the West Coast to the East Coast, you know, the LBGTQ community, you know, the, you know, atheist community. I've met all type of black folks, all type of white people. And I, have been amazed at the way that I've shaped my program and so many nuances around the people I've met. Um, believe it or not, this reason why we do the work of the barber culture now, and it's like, I define people say, well, why barbers? Why barbers? Why black? And I say, I always explain that black barbershops are at the, at the epicenter and historically have been identified as an organizing institution in our community that will never change that no matter how how COVID may shape it that historic history that we have and I want to recommend a book by Quincy Mills cutting along the color lines in black barbershops he talked about the black barbershop history all the way back until like the 1800s um, it is very very powerful to really understand you really have to know the historic nature of barbering and how that tied into racial slavery and also into our current context now and how even, you know, barbers play just such a pivotal role um, in political rights and, um, you know, and how our systems have been formed. And so it, it, there's a book, uh, Cutting Across the Color Lines, by an author named Quincy Mills, who did uh, several hundred interviews with barbers all across the country, I even think globally. Um, where he looked at the barbering industry, he looked at the systems of barbering, the political systems, and how the history of barbering really connects our past, but also how barbers are at the forefront for change, and how they have to change for economic change, social change. So barbers are truly our leaders in the community that we've always needed as Black men, and how this has all also been watered down as a culture to really become more performing around ego other than social change agents, which they are. Because historically, we think about the civil rights era, the organizing, and, you know, back in, you know, back in time, also, you know, back in racial slavery, you know, barbers were, you know, they cut slave masters' hair. Like, that was one of the few professions they could have. And we have to think about then and now and how that was also one of the first industries that barbers could really have ownership and really have economic improvement. So that leads me to 
the work that we do are is at the epicenter of leadership, but also as social change agents, as barbers being the ones that can really help the black community to thrive. They are part of the solution. They are not the solution, but they are a major part of it. And that's one reason why we have really um, divested and digested a lot of time into the barbering industry, because we know that historically um, that was one of the few places that black men had an opportunity to really be able to make a wage, you know, um, historically. And, And even now, one of the few institutions, if you, if you look at across the board, you know, you, think about different industries and cross sectors is one of the few places that barbers now are owning schools, multiple barbershops, and it's more of an enterprise setup, uh, more than what we've ever imagined. So that in itself really ties into a lot of, you know, where the black community could go or is going. And also it really answers a lot of questions around our, um, you know, just our, um, our racial construct and how we, um, you know, um, our relationships within, you know, white and black communities, black communities, because again, like I said, that was one of the, when they brought slaves, that was one of the few uh, professions that they would use the slaves to cut the master's hair. And that relationship in itself also is a part of the systemic issues in the trust, because that was one of the, that was one of the industries that they gave them an opportunity to engage in. And then now, if you look at the barber boards that have been put in place to really monopolize the black dollar as well. So again, you think about the systems and the institutions around this really very similar in how it shows up now within our um, systems across the board, which, you know, poverty and the different things that folks have endured. So, you know, it's a very interesting book. I definitely want to engage you to reach out, but we, the work that we do around mental health, mental health and emotion, that's, that's a broad thing, right? But we know, what affects our mental health, finances, relationships, you know, trauma, you know, past experiences, and that those affect our emotional health. And that's why we say we're training barbers to be mental health advocates because they can be the change of so many other things if someone are able to have a good, prosperous mental health. That's one reason why we even hone in on that because we know if you can have a positive mental health, you can get a bag, you can own a house, you can treat people right, you can love yourself. And that in itself, you can get some stuff out of life and you can really thrive. And that's why we at the epic, at the core of our work, that's why we focus on barbers. So. Knowledge yourself. It is so important. And you know, that, because you talked earlier about like the first time, well, kind of like that first time of feeling black and then your experience with uh, police officers, right? I feel like the first time that I went into a barbershop with my nephew was the very first time I saw like a collective space of black men a healing, right? Um, because if you go into the barbershop, like it's mentorship there, it's counseling mm-hmm. sessions going on, whether they whether people know it or not, that's what's happening. Yeah. Um <laughs> like it's it's just like you said, the epicenter of like I'd even say the epicenter of a healing space for the yeah, black community, absolutely. right? Because like the same in beauty shops, right? Like these, these are, and I, I think I told you about the psychologist that, um, the black female psychologist that is doing psychotherapy, right? So I think mm. this is definitely like, we need to pay attention to all aspects of the solution. Cause exactly like you said, right. They're not the solution, but they're a part of the solution. And that's a part, that's a very important piece of 
being open and receptive to everyone um, that is for the movement of liberating black consciousness, utilizing everyone. I mean, down to the T, right? Because as you're doing this work with black barbers, more black men are being killed. They're taking that home, talking to their friends, you know, maybe asking their girls or their wives, like, maybe you should go talk to somebody too. You know, like, (laughs) you know, so I think that, (laughs) I think that, you know, the work that you're doing is also highlighting the work that we have as a culture and as a people have been doing. Um, And we often forget that, like we've been healing ourselves. Like this is nothing new. Like, I, I think it's just now time for us to own that shit. Yeah, that's it. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's it. Your head on. Listen, I, it's time to own it. It's definitely time to go deep. And um, it's time to go deep and it's time to go wide. And really, right now, in the time where we are, we really got to go deep and wide because truthfully, like, we really need it now more than ever. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And and I want to talk about um, the media and film just briefly, if you you know, because I know it's a launch, so I don't know how much you want to give the folks. But yeah, um, uh, yeah. Yes. So we have. <laughs> but, um, but I think that yes, we ha- we uh, have. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, no, I was just going to say that um, a little bit about what you said with understanding the dynamics uh, that go behind media and the importance of Black-owned film and production companies, right, and entertainment. And I'm just, we're going to have to talk off off a session, too, about some things. But um, And um, I think what you're doing is just... Phenomenal. Like, I just can't stop complimenting you enough and saying I'm grateful for you enough and saying that, you know, I love you and I'm I'm just happy for you. I'm happy yeah, for the movement yeah, you're doing. You well. Like, I just think that that's yeah. important to say, too. Like, you know, as a as a black brother, because that's what you are to me as a black man. Like, I am just I am happy to know you. I am happy to be able to see the work that you're doing and the love that flows from you, right? Because that's important. Mm. Like to be able to see love flow from a black man. Mm. All right, mm. go ahead. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, you feel it by spirit. I really appreciate it. Um, I, I'm definitely, um, it, yeah, it's so reciprocated and mutual. Uh, so yeah, just in a nutshell, you know, I'm very open about the film is really to, over the last four years, um, super grateful, have 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 gotten a bunch of media. Um, I have been on, you know, Huffington Post, CNN, Watch the Yard, you know, I've been selected for the old magazine that'll be coming out here this fall. I've done you know, interview with ABC, NBC, Today's show. I've, you know, interviewed, you know, in Germany, in CBC, Canada, one of the largest radio stations in Canada, CBC Canadian Broadcast. I mean, you talk about all these different media outlets were on the work that we were doing left and right. Um, you know, um, Time Magazine, you know, did an article with them. Um, you know, just tons and tons of things, you know, from celebrity, radio, uh, and, and, and it's still coming, right? And it's still coming. It's going to keep coming. The thing is, where do we start to hone in and really archive our work that we own and that we know we have archived the work of our our story and our authenticity because the thing is, you know, I don't know if you've heard of companies buying people life rights where they can use a part of their story as a part on their, you know, they own somebody's story. There's folks that is have that? sold their life rights to, to companies and, um, you know, like huh. that is, 
crazy to me. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, you know, I just don't know how I would even, I don't, I can't even think about what that looks like knowing what I have suffered through and went through. And I'm trying to help my people to get through and to know that you're going to, you know, media is, is somebody that can make things look good or, or worse. Um, and, and because we know the power in media, we got to form our own media and at least form our own stories in a way that we can hone it and own it. So what we are starting to do, TCP Film and Production, very quick, is commercials, um, infomercials about educational things about mental health, stories about our past, our present, and really owning the archival of who we are and also using that to inspire the masses, help community, build community, and see people thrive by being able to tap into the film. Because film and storytelling is powerful. And at the root of our work in barbershops, we are about storytelling at the root and we're really about our the authentic nature of you know getting shit done and knowing ourselves so what better way is to do that and be able to use that you know in film that we know can help people decades from now right the stories that i'm telling on camera can truthfully be an instrument in public schools one day right because ccp films and production was able to distribute that stuff out so, you know, and so that's that was my imagine, <laughs> imaginative thinking that we're now using stories of those who have been, you know, I have a colleague who has, you know, experienced childhood rape and I have colleagues that have, you know, experienced depression. A lot of our barbers that went through trauma, violence, incarceration. We want to use those stories to really use those as an instrument with the Confess Project. But long term, the city can really help you know, people, black people, and really see that people can use that to, to learn and to grow and, and heal because stories do help people heal, right? And that's a part of the healing journey and seeing that. So we're that's a part of why we're doing that work. It will hopefully launch. We have started the process now. We have an excellent um, consultant, George McDonald, who was part of the film industry. Um, George has worked in a lot of movies. Uh, he's worked, he's a movie writer. He's not an actor, he's a movie writer. He does a lot of writing. We're bringing George on, and we're looking at doing some interns to come on and help build build things out. But it has it has actually launched, and a lot of the videos that we're putting out now, you'll see us talking about barbershop stuff and different things about you know different just different topics. We'll be using that as archival for us, so that we can have that you know later on for community and, and use to really help our people. Yes. Yes. That is, you just spot on, and it's synchronicities, that's all I can say. Um, this past spring, I actually taught psychofilm, television, and other media, so that's why I'm like, synchronicities. Uh, oh so, my God, wow, we need to talk more <laughs> offline. <laughs> right, so everything you saying, right, like, it, and just representation matters, and I think we say that without truly understanding the impact of what that means, like, it matters to have heard a black female with a dynamic voice spitting over music to me for me to be now in this chair doing a podcast, right? Like it mattered yeah. for me to have heard little Kim. That's who I'm talking about. Y'all, y'all should know this by now. Um, <laughs> you know, it mattered for me to hear voices like Queen Latifah voices like it mattered. Because if I would have only seen the Drew Barrymore's, then I would have thought it wasn't possible for my voice to be heard. So what you saying, I wish you could see me namaste and bowing down. Because, like, necessary. Past necessary. And and I think that um, 
by us and more of us creating um, avenues and more film and production companies, it will allow our stories to be told one, but be, but to be told in a most authentic way. Um, because when you were talking about the life rights, I was wondering, um, and I don't even think this would apply to that because I think they just stole this shit. But did you, were you following the story, uh, with the lion King and how they stole the, um, theme song from an African man? And his family ended up oh, wow. going back and suing, um, uh, suing them to get to get their rights. And so, I this, do, I do, yeah, I do. Okay, you see, what I'm saying this is necessary because we ain't trying to keep that going. We're not trying to have 50 years from now your family having to sue somebody else because they asked and made a damn Walt Disney movie out of it. You see, what I'm saying, barbershop. Mm. Living in a barbershop. You know what I'm saying? I'm just saying. Frozen and shit like that. You know, frozen in the shop. Something like that. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I think it's, you know, I I always try to add a little humor in there. But it's a serious conversation Uh, for us to have about representation. And people taking bold, jumping off the porch boldly enough to say, hey, this is what I'm doing. So, Hats off to you. I'm definitely excited about watching um, the Confess Project and all of the the arms and legs of the Confess Project just really turn into yes, this full armored it. body um, that is really helping heal. So, like, I'm just geeked that, you know, we could get you on this platform and more people could learn about you um, and the movement that you're doing. Because a lot of times when I talk to my Black Jewels, I try to allow them to really see you hear me a lot but it's a lot of other things moving and grooving outside of me just being on this podcast so you know it definitely takes a team um whether it's one two five people right um it takes a team to get these types of movements um first organized and then two carried out and um longevity which is what you're talking about legacy right the legacy of the confess project and oftentimes i think sometimes we don't think about that but legacy is really important especially in times like these wow wow you're so right you're so right well yes i really appreciate appreciate you and the work that you contribute i i feel like we're way more connected now than what we were before <laughs> <laughs> uh, and i definitely want to continue to learn from you you know from a leadership perspective just in the work you know you bring you know you bring value to I technically can bring in some spaces. And again, I think we equally bring enough value where we can do good stuff together and help a bunch of people. So yeah, let me know how I can continue to help and support the work here, you know, at Black Jewel and the work that you're doing with this podcast is going to help a lot of folks heal, grow, and truthfully see the best version of themselves. Ashe, thank you so much, bro. And same to you. You already know I am here. You got a clinical psychologist who is black and with it at your disposal. <laughs> So we are now at the point of the conversation where we talk about plugging the plug. You already uh, mentioned a little bit about the film and production that I'm so excited to see take off. Um, But if there's any other things that you'd like to plug right here, um, 
I'm pretty sure, I don't know, but you'll be added to the Plug the Plug page if that's something you're interested in. So, Black Jewels, you can, um, eventually you'll be able to log on, I mean, or go over to www.bblvkjewel.com and see Lorenzo Lewis and learn more about his movement and then follow the link to the Confess Project as well as his own personal, um, website definitely because we didn't hit on this so definitely plug your book because bro is an author too okay talk about yes, these hurdles yes. um uh <laughs> and definitely you know just plug yourself this is the time to shine absolutely yeah so um um newly author um you know published a book over my life journeys life memoir really talking about pain the purpose and overcoming life hurdles um really journaling my school to prison pipeline experience childhood trauma um, how I overcame those experiences and what does that look like to overcome different life circumstances. Um, truthfully said, as we talk about our stories, are truthfully ingrained in us. And when we see others thrive through their mess, it has obviously helps us to continue to go and learn more and push through our steps as well. Um, the Confess Project, please find us at the Confess Project. Um, one thing under this coming under the TCP Family Productions, um, I will be starting a digital talk show, the TCP show, which will be starting here in August. That will really uh, be a weekly segment that we'll do through Facebook and Instagram. It'll be a you know talking about mental health, talking about inspiration, talking about our stories. It's also going to be a way for us to connect with our community. We get a lot of donors, people that companies, organizations. And we wanted to have a way that folks could connect with us and keep up. So it's like a weekly check-in show, but we every now and then we'll bring on guests. So I'll make sure to bring you on to the TCP show. Yes. Uh, it'll be hosted by yours truly, and we're looking to grow that show. Uh, we needed, we're doing a lot of work, and we needed to find this is the only way we can figure out a synergy point to get the message out. What is, what's the updates? What are we doing? How things are going? What's the impact like? Um, so, yes, the TCP show, we'll be bringing on our barbers. Um, the different folks that we train, you know, we do tons of work. So we're looking forward to using this platform to really give people, to, you know, a message and to grow and to give, get the information out about the work that we're doing, the work that our community is doing and, and how we're continuing to evolve. So I look forward to having you on to our show here in the near future. Awesome. You know, I'm here for support and to support. Um, that is wonderful. And uh, uh, I'm just a sister by nature, y'all. So don't forget either, <laughs> Lorenzo, you got that QPR suicide prevention webinar that people can register for. Um, I did QPR at UTEP, so I was excited to see that you were offering that. So I just wanted to shout yes, that out, yes. too, because that's something very important uh, to me. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Um, free webinar coming up, QPR. Uh, we're doing it our way. We know QPR. Uh, I'm going to be very clear. It may not be crafted for us, but Come we're on. doing it by us. So it's for us. Come <laughs> on, so QPR, yes. Yeah. So we're grateful that we have folks that are of color that's trained to see QPR that can, tr you know, get this message across in a cultural way that people will listen. Because honestly, before now, cultural representation and talking about mental health and suicide prevention, uh, we have lost a lot of lives true folks taking their lives by suicide because it's people that don't look like them. And this field is not as representative of who we know and trust, which are folks that look like us in most cases, not all cases, but in most cases. And we want to change that narrative by offering those services too. 
Definitely. Let me know what I could do to support that too. Cause like I said, suicide prevention is really in my heart. I attempted suicide. I don't have shame about telling my story and I have had two, be- two close friends, um, transition by way of suicide. So definitely anything I can do to support that, just let me know. Um, and if there's anybody that is feeling low, like, please reach out, like all the resources that we've been bringing onto the show, all of the resources that we talk about and throw out, don't feel like we do this. So you can know that you're not alone. And there's people that look like you and who love you that are here doing the work to help guide you. Um, cause we can't heal you. You got to do that work. And Absolutely. we are here to help guide you to healing. So please reach out. Like we love you. We are here for you. I just wanna I just wanna say that. Cause I don't know, maybe it's somebody that's listening and haven't been feeling the best, haven't been, you know, because it's a lot, it's a lot pulling at our energy right now, y'all. It's a lot universally going on. It's a lot going on in this dimension. It's just a lot. So it's okay to not be okay. Dr. Tiffany Haynes did a TED Talk. She's a uh, uh, UAMS too. So she's local, another black psychologist. Did a TED Talk on it's okay to not be okay. Period. Mm. Figure, you know Mm. what I mean? It's okay to not be okay. And there's also resources to go on a journey to what okay looks like for you. Because it won't look like what okay looks like for anybody else. So I just want to, you know, end with that tad bit and that little piece of... uh, upliftment um and again thank you so much we have successfully slayed black masculinity part two and i know nathan is smiling down on us proud yes yes thank you all thank you As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.